Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Ave Geeks podcast. I'm Flight Corporal Jack Anderson, and I'm here with Flight Corporal Nadim Elgazar. Hello, everyone. And Flight Corporal Aiden Paul. How's it going? And as always, we are going to be your hosts. Now, this is actually going to be the final episode of season one of the Ave Geeks podcast. Very exciting. We started this all the way back in November, and we've come so far. Now, because it's our last, sorry, sorry. it's been a journey, but uh, we've come a long way. We've had plenty of listeners and we hope to start this up again next year. Absolutely. And now, since this is the final episode of our first year, we decided to do a big topic. We are going to be giving a timeline of all of the major events throughout aviation history. So this might be a little bit longer. We do apologize for that, but we do think it is going to be a very interesting episode. Now, with that said, let's start talking about history. So to make this a little easier, we've divided all of these events up into three eras. So the first one is the pre-1900 flight experiments. Second area is the early 20th century. Um, And then the third era is post-World War II. So, First of all, the first flight ever of anything was in 1000 BCE, when the first kite was invented in China. So at this point, there was like no people flying on it, no cargo, it was just a kite. But that was still a big moment. Um, That's the first thing that got up into the air, so. Yeah, the first man-made thing to ever fly that. that's a little weird because we normally don't talk about kites. We're talking about much bigger aircraft, but that is a fairly important detail. Moving on, we're going to be skipping ahead uh, quite a bit to uh, I think a few centuries, if not one millennia later, in 1485 or around 1500 AD. So there is a difference between BCE and AD. AD is later. Um, so I if I'm not mistaken, that is about one or 2,000 years between those two. Uh, Roughly, uh, I'd say yeah. about 1,500 years or so, 2,500, about that. 2,500 Yeah, that years. sounds about right. Yeah. Exactly, um, yeah. Right, so in this time, the uh, famed inventor, Leonardo da Vinci, designed his famous flying machines and parachutes. Now, this is very interesting because his machines, they, they worked pretty much. Uh, they had the potential to work. There's, there's even been uh, a few times where they've built stuff off of his designs and they have worked. For example, his parachute, they got a paratrooper to try it on and jump out of a plane with it. Apparently he said that it gave an even smoother ride than a modern one. So 1500s technology is a lot smoother than modern day technology. Mm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I got us. Yeah, Da Vinci was just a genius overall. Yeah, for sure. And then we, because I guess in Mac in these days, we didn't really have much of a, a jump and everything took a while to uh, invent. And so we jump all the way to 1783, around 250 years ago, I think, and, uh, or 300 years ago. And we have the hot air balloon flight. And uh, first, it was the first unethered man hot air balloon flight and was on the 21st of November in 1783 in Paris, France, and uh, it was a, bo- a balloon created by the uh, Montegolfier brothers. Yep, and 
They weren't actually the first ones to fly in it. They sent up a few animals. If I'm remembering correctly, they sent up uh, a duck, a sheep, uh, and a rooster, something like that. Sounds about right. That and yeah, they didn't make it back, but they didn't. But they were an historic mile in uh, or milestone, I should say, um, in the aviation history, the whole timeline. So they were very important. That was, I think, the first time any creature had flown. So we're not saying Persian because no, people didn't fly in these things yet, but that was the first time a living being had ever flown in an aircraft. Pretty amazing. And it is amazing to think that that was well over 300 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so 300 years ago was the first flight ever. Amazing to think about. Now, we are going to be jumping, again, about another 100 years to 1895. Yeah, in the early days here, a lot of jumping around. Uh, not much inventing happened, as was just said. And don't yeah. worry, we'll slow down a little bit in uh, the early 20th century and the post-World War II era. That's when things start to slow down a bit. Or I shouldn't say slow down, but things become more frequent. So we're not jumping. But... I mean, if anything, that would speed up. Yeah, you're... anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1895, biplane gliders were invented by Otto, going to butcher this German name, um, Lilenthal. I think I said that right. But so at this point, they had not found a way to put an engine in an aircraft. So he pretty much designed an entire airplane, but without the engine, uh, pulled it to the top of the hill, pushed it off and flew in it. So... Technically, that was uh, a first flight, but it wouldn't be as widely regarded as the Wright brothers, seeing as theirs had an engine on it. They could take off under their own power. They wouldn't have to use gravity to actually move. Right. Now, this has been a very short time, but we are at the end of section one here. Uh, So that went by pretty quickly. But the second section here is going to be all about the early 20th century. So first and foremost, in 1903, the first powered flight was taken by Orville and Wilbur Wright, and they made the record for being the first people to ever fly a heavier-than-air aircraft. Amazing, isn't it? Yes, and for an absolutely amazing time of 59 seconds that they wouldn't be until 1904. 59 seconds, but still, 1903. Again, well over 100 years ago. That's coming up on about 120 years, give or take. So, right. yeah, that, that's amazing to think of. Right. 120 even, years. I'm sorry. Yeah, even though it is a bit debated by historians whether this is the very first true uh, heavier-than-air flight, since the Wright brothers they actually used a catapult instead of wheels to take off. So it's still a bit disputed whether or not this was the very first time. Mm-hmm. But I think having a catapult, that doesn't really matter. As long as you get into the air, you have an engine, that counts in my books. Yep. Mm -hmm. So after this, again, we're going to be jumping forward uh, about 10 years to 1914 through 1918, which if you understand history, if you've read about history, you will know what we're talking about. This is World War I. And this was the first time in aircraft or in history, sorry, that an aircraft saw wide-scale use for combat purposes. So we're talking about fighters, bombers, zeppelins, all fighting over the skies over Europe. Quite impressive to think yeah. about. 
And then we jump another three years after World War I to 1921. And uh, this was a pilot's license first. So uh, Bessie Coleman became the first African-American to gain a pilot's license. So that was exactly 100 years ago. That, again, is amazing to think of. The first African-American to ever gain a pilot's license happened 100 years ago. That's, that's truly amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, sorry, I, I did just want to go back to World War I because we didn't really touch on that as much, but um, this truly was a turning point in aviation. I think that and World War II were the two most important factors that led the advancement of aviation because before World War I, planes were slow, they were small, could carry maybe one or two people. Post-World War I, however, we were seeing uh, bigger and bigger aircraft. We were seeing bombers, fighters. Uh, we saw aircraft carriers with uh, like 60 or so aircraft on them. So this was an amazing achievement and it really turned, it sort of changed the course of aviation history forever. Without it, we'd probably be maybe 50 to 100 years behind where we are right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's tough to think about, but... It's amazing to think about, yeah. Um, now, we are at the halfway point here, so we would just like to have a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible by the 102 Squadron Air Cadets. Due to the pandemic, we've been unable to do our normal fundraising this year, so instead, we made a Squadron Cookbook. All three of us are members of the Cookbook Committee and have seen the months of hard work that have gone into it. The book contains recipes for almost every cadet, officer, and member of staff. Books are now available for pre-order and can be found on the 102 Squadron website under the Announcements tab where an order form can be found. These books go towards supporting one of the best youth programs in Canada, and we cannot recommend them enough. Yeah, we will talk a little bit more about this book at the end of this week's episode. But for now, let's talk a bit more about the early 20th century. So, in 1927, the first transatlantic flight was completed by Charles Lindbergh. And that is truly amazing. So this was the first nonstop flight. So before there had been flights where they would stop to refuel in like, um, where was it? I think uh, Greenland, Iceland, places like that. But he flew straight from, uh, I believe it was either America or Canada he started off in. And he landed in France, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, truly an amazing, amazing, sorry, accomplishment. Oof. I'm having a bit of a tongue twister day, aren't I? Yeah, I guess so. I'm surprised that was completed in 1927. I mean, I thought that exactly. would be much yeah. later, especially when you consider fuel and stuff. But then uh, you jump another three years and uh, surprisingly, the jet engine was invented. invented. Exactly. So, so that was, that was what, uh, 93 years ago, 91 years ago, I think. Yeah, around 91, 91 years ago. ago. Yeah, so yeah, 91 right. years ago, the first jet engine was invented. I want you to think about that because that means that less than 30 years after an airplane had been invented, there were already jet engines for it. Mm -hmm. That is a massive accomplishment. That is a massive amount of advancement. And you see that a lot throughout aviation. For example, less than 60, I think less than 69 years or let's just say less than 70 years, less than 70 years after the airplane had been invented, men were already put on the moon, which shows how quickly technology advanced. So right. we're not really going to be talking a bit about um, space at all throughout this episode, but I did just want to bring that up because it is very interesting to think about. 
for sure and the yeah. inventor for that was um sorry it was frank whittle and he was a british yep. he inventor. was a uh, british inventor so Another very important figure in aviation. Now, he doesn't get as much uh, credit as a lot of other people do. Like you hear all about Charles Lindbergh and Amelia Earhart as uh, people who advanced aviation. But you really need to look at the inventors like uh, this guy, Frank Whittle. Without him, we wouldn't have a lot of the big jets that we have today. So it is very important to recognize these guys' contribution to the industry. Right. Now, that said, two years later, in 1932, the first woman flew across the Atlantic, Amelia Earhart. So, um, as you said, in 1927, Charles Lindbergh did it, but for the first time, uh, a woman did it, and that was Amelia Earhart. So, we actually did have an episode last week talking all about her. It was sort of like a true crime podcast, very interesting. We talked about her disappearance, all of her accomplishments, and stuff like that. Uh, so, I'd I definitely recommend after this episode, you go and listen to it. Very good. And it gives uh, a lot more information on this incredible woman. Uh, we're barely going to talk about her here. We're going to talk about her like very briefly. But if you want to learn more about her, go listen to our last episode. For sure. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, I guess you fast forward a, a good. Well, you oh, fast forward to year. 1932. Yeah. Sorry, I was the reading the next year. year. Yeah, yep, fast year. forward, I guess, a month or two, and... Uh, yeah, she, she broke the, the record, record for the longest flight ever without refueling, flying from Oakland, California to Newark, New Jersey. This also made her the first female pilot to fly a transcontinental flight. So, again, that's even more records. And when I said right. the longest flight, notice I didn't say the, um, the longest flight for a female pilot. That was the longest flight overall at the time so a very big accomplishment right there pretty sure she also became the first woman to do a solo flight across the pacific in 35 i believe that that does sound about right i'm not 100 yeah. percent sure on that but i think that is right now sure. we're jumping ahead again uh, to 1937 still talking about amelia Earhart though because uh there was a lot of interesting stuff that she did in the 1930s so in 1937 she famously and very strangely disappeared while flying in the South Pacific. When she was doing this, she was attempting to be the first female pilot to sac uh, sorry, circumnavigate. God, what is wrong with me today? She was trying to circumnavigate the entire world. So she has not been found to this day. Um, if you want to hear more theories about her disappearance, if you want to hear more information about her disappearance, definitely go back and watch that episode again. We right. talk about a lot of theories from she landed on an island, she crashed in the ocean, all the way to maybe she was abducted to, by aliens. <laughs> yeah, we really broke out the tinfoil hats for last week. Yep. For sure, yeah. That was fun. Yeah. So in 1939, again, jumping ahead two years, the first jet-propelled aircraft, Germany's Heinkel HE-178, has its first fully jet-propelled flight. So we did say that in 1930, the jet engine was invented, but it hadn't successfully been attached to an aircraft until now. So that, that is pretty weird to think about, that they invented something, but they weren't able to fully use it until nine years later. That is pretty weird to think about. Yeah, right. I remember, like, I always thought it was the ME-262 that was the first jet-powered aircraft until I heard about the 178, like, maybe two weeks ago. So the ME-262, um, 
I believe it was one of the first jet fighters, but this one wasn't really meant for military use. It was just experimental. They used uh, it a couple solely, times, yeah. Yeah, and solely on the basis of uh, figuring out if it was possible to put a jet engine inside an airplane. Pretty sure they made like 200 in total. Yeah, there was not many of them. And, oh, yeah, there and, was. And even less actually saw combat. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, that brings us to 1939 through 1945 the Second World War. So aircraft saw their use in a second major conflict. This time, they made even more of an impact than in the First War just 20 years prior. So we talked about earlier, this was a uh, major changing point for aircraft. This was yet another major changing point because after this, aircraft were able to be much bigger. They, um, they could carry much heavier loads. It could fly larger distances. And a big one is jet propulsion. So yes, jet propulsion did exist before this, as we said, but it wasn't very wide scale. Like it was nearly impossible to see a jet aircraft before World War II. That changed though during the war when both sides tried to get an edge on the other by building their own jet aircraft. Only and Germany really succeeded. Did. Yeah, they, Only- they did succeed. Um, the Germans did have a much larger jet program than the uh, British, Americans, or Soviets. But they did have prototypes during the war, and these would go on to fight in the Cold War. So very pivotal moment, this war. And um, I think we did, we did a lot of episodes on World War II just because there's so much interesting information about aviation in there. Um, I think this is probably one of the golden ages for aviation. I've heard that from a lot of people, a lot of pilots. They say that if they could have chosen one air to fly a plane in, it would have been the 1930s and the 1940s. For sure. And if you guys want to hear more about specific aircraft in World War II, be sure to check out our very first episode. It's funny how the two collaborate, the first and the last. But Yeah. Hmm. Now, with that out of the way, we're going to be talking about our third and final era, the post-World War II aviation. So starting off in the late 1940s, aerial agriculture developed in New Zealand. So what we mean by aerial agriculture is crop dusters. So before now, you really didn't see this kind of aircraft, but after World War II, they popped up everywhere. And it's easy to see why. When you have a massive field, it is so much easier to dump fertilizer out of an airplane while flying than going along in a tractor or even doing it by hand and just walking through and spreading the fertilizer. It is so much easier. Right. And it's come a long way. Like now they're using it to like spray pesticides and everything. And it's just so much quicker than spraying by hand every individual plant. You just go up and spray the whole field from above. It's a lot more effective. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for much bigger fields. Like if you had a small little field, okay, maybe you could do that by hand or with a tractor. But for these massive farms that were required after World War II uh, to meet the massive population boom, they had to have these massive aircraft, or I shouldn't say massive aircraft, but they had to have these aircraft that could dump fertilizer on these plants very quickly. Right. Now, jumping ahead to 1947, um, uh, Charles Yeager, often referred to as Chuck Yeager, was the first pilot in history to exceed the speed of sound. 
that again was another major leap forward in aviation history because there are tons of fighter jets today that break through the sand barrier fairly regularly this is something that i think a lot of people know about they uh they've heard about going through the sound barrier and again it's amazing to think that they did this in 1947 that was about 70 odd years ago give or take wow. so 70 mm-hmm. actually that's 72 years ago so yes yeah, 72 years ago a person broke through the sound barrier that's and I believe older than that, sorry i believe that was in the bell x1 if i'm correct bell i x1? think you're right yeah that, that sounds right you're right mm-hmm. yeah So we're going to jump ahead again about 10 years to 1958 through 1959 for the world's longest flight that lasted for 64 days. You might be wondering why I said 1958 through 1959. The reason I said that is because it started in 1958 and landed in 1959. They literally went through a year sitting in an airplane. Uh, Even more crazily, they did this in a Cessna 172. So Mm -hmm. when you're thinking longest flight in the world, you're thinking like, oh, maybe a big uh, 787 or an A380. Nope, they did it in a tiny little prop plane. So I do just want to talk about this uh, very briefly because it is a pretty interesting, pretty funny story. Um, So two guys, they went up in the Cessna 172 over the New Mexico and Nevada deserts. they had a bed and a chair in the cockpit, as well as a bucket and a sink. Um, and they would fly around the whole day. And when they needed to refuel, they would uh, come close to the ground on an abandoned highway. They would lower a fuel line to a pickup truck that was matching their speed. And they would refuel like that. And they did that twice a day for 64 days. <laughs> Shoot. Uh, yes, they get. Uh, yes, they get a toy. They get a, a a working sink, but they can't. But they just use a bucket for, uh, for as as the toilet. Yes, makes perfect like sense. The, the the sink was like a, like one of those pump ones where like uh, you put some water in and then like you pump it with your foot and it sprays out water. Hmm. Um, they also had to do that with food. They'd have to match speed with a truck. They'd use uh, a cable and a pulley to hoist up some food to them. But seriously, think about that. 64 days, that's well over two months. So imagine mm-hmm. two months. Like We talked about this a bit in our Amelia Earhart episode, um, where she w- would be flying for one month straight. In between that, though, she was allowed to land. She went to like a hotel or something, and she would sleep. These guys had to sleep in an airplane for about two months. And I have to admit, they did this at the worst possible time because they did this over Christmas and New Year's Eve. Oh, that must suck. I I mean, weird choice to do it in. I mean, you're away from your family for the holidays, but still, that's that's pretty cool that they did it from 1958 to 1959. That's, I think, one of the only flights that can say that they flew between two years. Right. Well, unless modern-day planes like fly overnight uh, okay yeah but, yeah but still still yeah that was pretty impressive especially for mm-hmm. the time because again that was 1958 so that was uh give or take about 50 60 yeah i think maybe 65 at the most years ago so yes yeah, 60 years ago or so give mm-hmm. or take but that yeah. that's amazing to think of actually something else that happened something else that happened a surprisingly long time ago in 1967, the North American plane, the X-15, 
um, that, they, that one took off on its, on its more or less famous flight, um, where it has, where it set the speed record for, for a plane at the time that still holds up to this day. There, that thing was flying a Mach 6.7. Wow. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what Mach means, that means the speed of sound. So they're flying at 6.7 times the speed of sound. That's that is amazing. Insane. Yeah, that's like almost 7,200 kilometers per hour. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this isn't on the official timeline, but I would like to point it out. In the mid-50s, the B-52 bomber entered service. It is still in service to this day. That's pretty cool to think about that it's been in service for, I think, nearly 70 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And they're expecting it's going to keep serving America up until uh, 2050. So about 100 years, it will be in service. It is currently, it holds the record for the longest serving military aircraft that is still in use, like full service use. Like They use mm-hmm. these things all over the world. It's the backbone of American Bomber Command. I mean, it's one of the only parts of America's bomb command, but like. <laughs> True, but that is why it's the backbone. That, yeah, um, and have B-2s flying all the time. Exactly. So skipping ahead again to 1969, um, the year of the moon landing, but we're, again, we're not really talking about that. Uh, another big thing that happened was the first supersonic uh, commercial flight or the first supersonic transport flight. So these were on the Soviet TU-144 and the French and British Concorde. So again, 1969, that would have been uh, about 50 years ago or 52 52. years ago, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that that is pretty cool to think about. 52 years ago, they were flying commercial supersonic. We don't even have that today. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will talk about that in a little bit though. because I've heard rumors that they're thinking of bringing it back, but yeah, we're going to save that for a little later. Now, we're going to jump ahead another year to 1970 when the first Boeing 747 made its commercial flight. So if you don't know, the 747 at the time was the largest aircraft in the world. Right now, it's the second largest um, uh, passenger aircraft. So there are much bigger cargo ones, but it is only beat out in number of passengers by the A380. However, mm-hmm. it is considered that the 747 is a lot more successful than the A380 because it existed at a time where aircraft of that size were actually economical. Nowadays, you really don't see that many wide-bodied, massive aircraft with like four engines. You see mainly two-engine aircraft like the 787, the 777, or stuff like the A350. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. And there's also an episode about talking about that, Boeing versus Airbus. And uh, yeah. Mm, I just, believe that was that was what our second, maybe third episode. Oh my god. I think god, it yeah. was our third episode. And uh, hard to remember. Feels yeah, like a million yeah. years ago. For sure. Our second episode was the movies. And uh, yeah, fast forwarding six years and you have uh, the Concorde began its uh, its first passenger carrying service. So that's when it was first uh, service to uh, just do its uh, route. Its main one was from, I think, London to New York. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Could uh, fly that in about three hours, which is about half the time it takes today. It's actually less than half because if I'm not mistaken, that route takes about uh, seven hours. Or then if it was flying from Paris to New York, it'd be about eight hours. So 
it more than cut the length in half. So pretty impressive, especially given the time. So 1976, that would have been about uh, 44, 45 years ago, give or take, something around that. Mm -hmm. Now, in 1979, so we're jumping ahead three more years, was the longest human-powered flight. So what we mean by this is something where like uh, people were pedaling in it. Like um, you've heard a lot about this from uh, environmentalists saying we need to have pedal-powered aircraft. Well, in 1979, the longest flight ever of a pedal-powered aircraft happened. It was, um, oh, I'm gonna butcher this name, the uh, Gossamer Albatross, and they flew it across the English Channel which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, here, I think I have the name of the pilot here. It was um, Brian Allen. So that, that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun, actually. It sounds like riding a bike a bit, <laughs> riding yeah, a bike in the sky. Just riding a bike across the English Channel. Mm -hmm. Sounds fun. It, it does sound fun. It sounds pretty peaceful, too, because you wouldn't have those noisy propellers or jet engines, just the sound of the pedals. That, that does sound pretty peaceful. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be um, jumping ahead to 1986 to the first nonstop flight around the entire world, which was completed by Dick Rutan and Jenna Yeager. And they flew the US ultralight Voyager around the world in a nine day nonstop flight from California to California. Incredible. That, that's pretty they, cool, yeah. They probably, like in these days, they probably mastered the refuel and the air scheme. If not, then also very impressive, but. Well, mm -hmm. I, I have to admit, look at that though. They're saying ultralight. When they say ultralight, do they mean like an actual ultralight or is that just the name of the aircraft? Because if they oh, did that in an ultralight. That would be in, really impressive. Because they yeah. have to like refuel like, like four or five times a day. Yeah, and I'm, to do I'm that, I don't think you can fly around the world in nine days. It's a in, yeah, in yeah. a Voyager. Uh, sorry, in an ultralight. Okay, but, yeah. Um, so I'm assuming that's just part of the name. Ultralight must be in the name. There's no way an ultralight completed a worldwide flight. Um, now, again, this isn't on the official board, but also in 1986, the best aviation movie of all time was released, Top Gun. So if you want to hear more about that, our second episode talked about aviation movies. Go back and take a look at it. Talk all about Top Gun. Top Gun was a beautiful movie, most amazing movie. Made me want to be a pilot. So that's that's how good it is. Also, I want to add here before we go on to our next little area here. Um, in 1988, the uh, the Antonov An-225 Mirya was created by, well, Antonov, it's a Russian Russian company. It is known as, it is currently known as the world's heaviest aircraft, a record that has, hasn't been beat yet. Um, a single one has been made. I wonder wow. why. It's got six <laughs> engines, I wonder why. Hmm. So again, though, think about that. That was, uh, you said 1988, correct? Mm-hmm. That's, what, uh, 40 years ago or uh, 32, maybe 31 years ago? About that, 31 yeah. sounds right, but 31 years ago, the heaviest aircraft in all of history was built. And to this day, they still have not built a heavier aircraft. That's pretty insane. Mm -hmm. For sure, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a big jump between 1986 to uh, 2005 to 2006 when the uh, first nonstop 
World Solo Flight took place. And this was uh, by Steve Fawcett. And uh, yeah, he made history when he did the first nonstop solo flight around the world in 2005 and in 2006. And uh, lands in England after flying around the world once and crossing the Atlantic twice, which is really impressive. And that total yeah. to a distance of uh, over 26,000 miles and almost 42 and a half thousand kilometers. So that's pretty. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by solo is because um, this is a term that you hear a lot in uh, aviation. Solo means you are the only person on that aircraft. There cannot be a single other person on this aircraft. So what sets this apart from all the other uh, flying around the world ones that we've talked about is that this guy was completely by himself. He didn't have any help. He didn't have uh, a co-pilot, a navigator, anyone like that. He was 100% by himself. So that is a truly massive achievement. Mm -hmm. Now jumping again to 2009, when the world record for the longest glider flight was uh, broken by a pilot named Terry Delore. He broke the record by 100 kilometers, traveling a total of 2,400 kilometers within New Zealand. That's that is that's something. that's insane. That's that, um that distance in a glider, like no engine in a like, glider, yeah, no engine. That's nothing. Yeah. Would have had to been nothing. Would have had to been airdropped at a ridiculously high altitude. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Well, because back in the day. 2,400 kilometers would have been too far for a lot of aircraft to fly. Like back in the 30s and 40s, there were tons of aircraft that could not fly. And I'm not saying gliders. I'm saying like full-on airplanes that had engines. They could not fly 2,400 kilometers. So to think that a guy in an airplane with absolutely zero engine could fly 2,400 kilometers, that is pretty insane. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, Jumping ahead again to 2011, when the Martin jetpack was uh, invented or first tested. So it is an unmanned test. And as said, it was a jetpack. So it was invented by New Zealander, Glenn Martin. It reached an altitude of 5,000 feet. And it is a small flying device for one person, obviously. I, th I think we all know what a jetpack is. Right. But we've never really seen one in use. Like we've seen them in movies, TV shows, stuff like that, but we've never seen one in person until 2011. Um, For sure. And it, I don't think people still want to do it. I, I, I don't even know if governments will approve it because I don't think it's very safe. You're basically strapping rockets to a guy's back and saying, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, um, According to this, it was apparently named one of the world's top 10 inventions in 2010. Hmm. Um, now, in the same year, in 2011, interestingly, was the world's first flying car. The transition by uh, another hard to pronounce name, uh, Terra Fugia was a roadable aircraft. Not sure, not sure why you guys put that in there. I think it would have made more sense to put um, airborne car or a flying car but it was an airplane that could take off and land at any airport with the push of a button and then after you push that button boom you just fold up the wings drive off like a normal car so again flying cars are something we've seen a lot in tv and movies but in 2011 which was 10 years ago it got invented for real so there now are 
actual flying cars. You can buy a flying car. Again, I wouldn't recommend it because like, if you don't have a pilot's license and you're trying to fly one of these things, you're, you're pretty screwed. But I mean, if you are a fully trained pilot, that'd be completely convenient. You just drive up to the airport, press a button, wings fold out, boom, you go. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that was 10 years ago and I never even heard about it. I didn't think, I thought this was all just like in movies and stuff. So yeah, it's quite impressive. And fast forward five years and this was five years ago. And I didn't even know this took place either. The first solo flight around the world. So the solo impulse Two is the first plane. I think, I think you mean solar. You're, you're saying solo there, but Sorry, it says solar. I meant to say solar. Yeah, which is very impressive. The solar flight around the world. So the solar impulse too is the first plane powered by a renewable energy source to tour the world. And that's really impressive. And yeah, and I mean, it took like a month. Say, though, we should say though that these like uh, big electric aircraft, or I shouldn't say big electric aircraft, they were quite small. They could hold maybe five people max. So uh, I've heard a lot of people say, no, we need uh, all of these aircraft to be fully electric. That really isn't possible with the technology we have right now. However, that has never stopped aviation history in the past. As we've seen, there have been tons of inventions of things that we thought were impossible, and now they're fairly common. So for all we know, we could have fully electric aircraft in the next 10 to 20 years. For sure. And I don't, right. I don't turn it down in any way. Like I, I encourage it because uh, air travel is a huge part of a, uh, just the the fossil fuels being uh, just uh, exposed to our planet. So it's obviously a great idea. And, but will it happen soon? Probably not, but I I hope it happens. Mm -hmm. I think we should also, oh, sorry. 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 What were you going to say? Yeah. So I think I should also mention here that the, the solar impulse too, um, like, like, like you said, it's it's a good step. We still got a pretty long way to go. Like Solar Impulse Two, it was a drone, and it took it like a solid month to travel around the world. Still pretty impressive, though. Yeah, still really impressive, no doubt. Now, keeping in line with this uh, electric theme, the first electric aircraft, so battery powered, not like uh, it has solar panels on it. The first electric one that had its battery stored inside of it flew in 2019. Um, this was actually in Canada. So that's, that's something pretty cool that us Canadians were the first ones to fly a fully electric aircraft. Um, it is a VTOL aircraft, interestingly, uh, which stands for vertical takeoff and landing. And it was called the Lilium. It was capable of holding five people and it is officially set to uh, enter service in 2024. So that is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now have fully electric aircraft. Like you just put a battery in and boom, you fly. So it, it's like a Tesla of the skies. We now have Teslas that can fly essentially. I honestly wouldn't That's be surprised. If, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Elon Musk made that. Oh, neither would I. He seems like a guy who would be cool enough to do that. Yeah. I mean, if he's making Starnet, he might as well make this. Might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, jumping ahead to nowadays, to 2021, uh, you might remember, uh, Earlier in the episode, we said we were going to come back to supersonic aircraft. Well, in 2021, United Airlines put in an order for 15 supersonic aircraft that have been set to enter service by 2029. So, yeah, we said that there are going to be some big changes by the end of this decade. That is very obvious. 
there are already going to be supersonic commercial flights by the time this decade is out. So in less than eight years, pretty much, we're going to be flying on supersonic aircraft. How amazing is that? For the first time in 30 years. For the first time in 30 years, yeah. So in, uh, I believe, 2001 or 2002, one of those two, they retired the Concorde. We are going to be flying in supersonic aircraft again. That's amazing to think of. Mm-hmm. Um, we did talk a little bit more about this topic again in one of our uh, previous episodes. We talked about why we think it might not be uh, economically feasible, but I have to admit, I do want it to work. I don't think it's going to work, but I want nothing more than for this to work. I think it would be awesome to fly across the Atlantic in only three hours. I mean, that's that's my one problem with flying internationally, like flying long distance. The fact that I have to sit there for eight or nine hours, it's really tedious. Yeah, we spoke about how like planes are sort of, they fly their route in long periods of time to so, like dodge the night and stuff like that. I'll tell you right now, I, I don't care if I show up 3 a.m. in a different country. I don't want to sit. I, if I can sit on the plane for three hours instead of eight hours, I would do that. Not to mention, right? Not to mention, you can, not to mention, like you said, cutting eight hours down to three. Mm-hmm. And then we've got flights from, like, say, New York, New York International Airport, all the way to Sydney in Australia. Well, then I you think, can really. I think, I think the problem with that is, though, they can't fly supersonic over land because of the sonic boom that it produces. Oh, yeah, you're right. However, yeah, the Pacific is probably the longest part of that journey. So that's, I think, an 18-hour flight. I might be able to cut it down to maybe 10 hours or so, which, again, is massive. That's shaving eight hours off of your flight. Right. Yeah, California to Sydney. That could be a good one. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. California to Sydney. That could definitely be a lot shorter because that one, it flies right out over the ocean. So they could possibly cut that in half or better. Mm-hmm. Now. Sure. Seeing as we are up to 2021, that is the entire history of aviation so far. Now, since this is the last episode, we do just want to take a brief look back at our first season of the AveGeeks podcast. So we started this all the way back in November. This is the first time any of us have done anything like this. Like We've never worked in broadcasting, filmmaking, anything like that. So this was a wild ride and a great experience for all of us. Right. For sure. And yeah, none of us had the experience and, uh, you know, it took us a lot of time to figure out how to even start up a podcast, but, uh, we've figured it out. We, we may every Sunday and we just come out, we learn a lot. It's all a learning experience for us and, uh, super Mm -hmm. fun. And yeah, it it was super fun. And Mm -hmm. we're looking forward to doing this again next year. So, Unfortunately, that does bring us to the end of our time. But just before we go, we would like to have a word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible by the 102 Squadron Air Cadets. Due to the pandemic, we have been unable to do our normal fundraising this year. So instead, we made a Squadron Cookbook. All three of us are members of the Cookbook Committee and have seen the months of hard work that have gone into it. The books contain recipes from, every, from almost every cadet, officer, and member of staff. Books are now available for order and can be found on the 102 Squadron website under the Announcements tab where you can find an order form. These books go towards supporting one of the best youth programs in Canada, and we cannot recommend them enough. Yeah, these books are truly amazing. I actually got my copy last Saturday, and uh, it is very high quality, uh, tons of recipes, 
tons of information about our squadron. I would highly recommend you buy one. Now, yeah, all the money if, goes to our squadron, replaces our big fundraiser, so we cannot recommend them enough. Mm -hmm. Now, with all of that said, that is all of our time for tonight. We are up to well over 40 minutes. This is quite a long episode, but quite a big topic. And this does wrap up the end of the Ave Geeks podcast. Thank you and goodbye. Have a good one. See you in a few months. <laughs>